I wrote a few notes here. Uh, my story is uh, pretty classic. Yeah, right up on that mic. Right on it. Pretty classic, amazing grace. I was lost, found. Uh, like, like many others here, for most of my life, I led a pretty sinful life. You know, pride, self-absorption, and all the other sins that fall from that tree, you know, I was, I, I was deeply guilty of. However, I was comfortable in that sin. I was comfor comfortable in that reality. I, uh, you know, I thought the norm in life was anxiousness, anxiety, bitterness, envy, you know, all the big ones. I was unfulfilled. Uh, during my life, God had repeatedly made his presence known. He had knocked on my door regularly. And my friends were getting saved. Uh, miraculous things would happen. You know, things, coincidence that weren't coincidences. And eventually, through a series of, uh, you know, trials and tribulations like we all have, I, uh, I finally... Uh, broke down, God had orchestrated, you know, a series of events that just kind of brought me to my knees and made me realize that uh, I, needed, I needed the Lord to, to be in my life. Amen. You know, of course, that led me back to him and the acceptance of Jesus as my savior, you know, my life changed uh, extraordinarily, uh, place of anxiety, I had comfort, you know, I, I, assurance, uh, confidence, purpose, clarity, you know, uh, the whole world went three, changed 360 degrees, and um, I, uh, I can't be more grateful to be uh, among God's servants. Thank you, folks. So, you know, back and forth here. Um, they told me it was going to be done by height, so I thought I was first. So obviously <laughs> it is not happening that way. Um, for all you who don't know me, I'm Rick's wife, Dina. Um, I just want to tell you this year has been amazing, amazing. Uh, barring COVID, COVID was the best thing that happened to me. Um, instead of... Um, dwelling in my own despair, dwelling in uh, the world's despair, dwelling in everything else. I dwelled in Jesus this year. I, I found so much comfort doing studies every single morning just so faithfully uh, with the rest of a lot of other groups who are doing it with us as well. Um, I just found such a tremendous growth in my love for Jesus. Another great event was Seed Week. I cannot even express how much Seed Week meant to me this year. As I've said before, unbelievable joy in serving the Lord. When I was asked, oh, well, you know, what did you say to people? Um, what kind of things were you taught? I was able to tell you what I was taught. I was not able to tell you exactly what I said to people because as I think I told the group, it was as though... I would remember some things, and other things, it was just the Holy Spirit 
saying whatever it is that the Holy Spirit says to people. So it was just pure in the spirit, pure for his glory. And just the days passed so fast. They were so long. But you didn't feel that tapping of your energy from you until the end of the day where you're like lying in bed going, thank you. So I can't say enough about Seed Week and anyone who's even contemplating it, who's even like, you know, heard of it, you need to do it. You need to do it. Uh, Seed Week, sorry. <laughs> Seed Week is when, um, well, we go to New York with the International Project and you do basically going out and spreading the word. The, you get taught in the morning, we pray in the morning, and then we go out with the tools that we've been giving, and we speak with the Holy Spirit in us, and we tell people about Jesus. It sounds so um, unsurmountable, but with the Holy Spirit, it's unbelievable. And people like my husband, you saw how quiet he is. You couldn't put the microphone right here. I could sing right now, but I don't have a voice. <laughs> so, I mean, for even very quiet, shy people, it is explosive just to see that happen to someone else. And, you know, you can always see the growth in other people. You just can't see it in yourself so necessarily. So when I saw him just on fire and speaking to, like, people he would never have spoken of in his entire life, it's just really moving. And you know the Holy Spirit is out there. You know the Holy Spirit is in you working. So anyone even thinking about this, I will take your child. Okay. <laughs> Ring me up. I will take your child for that week. I, I think I draw a line. But, I mean, I, ha I do have another adult parent in the house. So, um, for a week. I, I, I'll even go for two children. I will take your two children. <laughs> I sound like this is horrible. Like, I'm betting on your children. child. I will. Oh, I see three out there. I'll take your three children. I will take those boys. I will take them. Okay, I'm running out of time. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, I realize that I'm not a happy person, especially when life and my circumstances are easy. I'm guilty of seeing people who have it all together, and my flesh convinces me that they are happier for it. A good job, a career, a wife and kids a sink that drains properly, not stressing about a car payment. Therefore, I try harder to achieve these things in my own strength. And every time, happiness is not the result. For example, I really wanted a front porch on my house. I made it happen, and I'm just as empty as I was before I had it. Why am I not joyful when life is good? I have a negative lens and I'm super critical of everyone and everything, most of all myself. If the things that I strive for and view as success were fulfilling, I would take the credit. I would give myself the glory. These efforts can go for quite a while sometimes and then it's followed by suffering and then I ask God to remove my suffering. Who am I to think that the suffering I'm experiencing is not what I need right now? God is either sovereign or he's not. He knows if my life and circumstances are easy, I will take credit for it. Jesus wants the glory. 
I feel God's presence. I feel God's presence the most when my circumstances are a wreck and I'm suffering and being convicted of sin. I'm blessed when my sin is exposed through the suffering. Mind you, I don't use that as an incentive to engage in sin, but that's when I feel his grace, mercy, and love the most, even though it's hard and my flesh hates it. Every time I think I'm on my own two feet, I'm humbled and humiliated and kicked in the gutter. Thank God for that. When I'm crushed by my circumstances and humbled, it's comforting. I have more peace and I have joy, not happiness. My flesh still thinks good and easy circumstances will deliver happiness. It's actually rather lonely and depressing, but I have joy. I suffer from my own self-deception of happiness and humility being a sign of spiritual maturity. Therefore, when my lack of humility and lack of happiness is revealed to me, I view myself as a spiritual infant. And thank God for that, for constantly reminding a sinner like me of my of my desperate need for a savior. I lost my place. Um, thank you, Jesus, for choosing to make it clear to me that you are in control, and I don't know crap. Thank you for giving me the awareness of my sin through suffering and hard circumstances and for comforting me through it with your peace and joy. Only you can take something the world views as bad or unfortunate and have it be a gift. Thank you for loving me when I don't. Thank you for life not coming easy to me. If it did, I wouldn't need to depend on you. I can't pretend to know what you're doing or what your plan is for my life, and that's exactly how you want it to be, I think. If I knew the destination, I would try to get there in my own strength, and you won't let that happen because you know I can't. Every time I think I know what's best, you prove me dead wrong. And then you bless me by blowing down my sandcastle that I thought was my masterpiece. I'm a fool if I'm discouraged by my failures. I should be encouraged that the creator of the universe is choosing to show me that what he has for me is better than anything my own efforts can achieve. Amen. Thank you for that not being easy to accept and for designing everything to point to the fact that I need to depend on you. Thank you for showing me how weak I am. Thank you for showing me that you are not in my life to assist me to reach my goals and dreams for my life. You are in my life to solve my sin problem, my guilt problem, my self-contempt problem. Only when I confess to you that you are not enough for me is when you are. Jesus is my king and my God, and I'm not ashamed to admit, oh my goodness, I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm a lousy example of that. He is the example, and the example is perfection, and he, and he still chooses me. Um, I grew up in the church from the time that I could remember. 
I actually, I don't think there was ever a time that I didn't go to church. My parents probably still pick up little pictures of me when I had my little tuxedo on, because I refused to go to church without a tuxedo when I was younger. Um, I grew up going to the same church until we were about until I was about fifteen ish, and um, up until about a couple years before then, we had a really good pastor. He spoke truth, he preached from the Bible, he lived as an example of what it was supposed to be to be a Christian, and I looked up to him so much. And then he left, and we had an interim pastor, we had, uh, we, we actually had uh, Steve, I don't know if, I don't know if he's here, uh, Steve Teco, he was our interim pastor for a couple years, and it was awesome. Bill came in and visited from time to time, it was, it, it was pristine. <coughs> and then, um, Steve stepped down as the interim pastor, and we got a new guy in who was not at all what I imagined. He was not a good person, although he acted like it on the outside, and it kind of challenged what I thought it meant to be a Christian. We ended up leaving because of some drama within the church, and we were very unsure of what to do, but then we heard about this uh, small church that had been started by, by a guy that we knew and um, we decided to try it out, and we drove to the Armada. Oh, was the, no, was it the fire hole first? Yes, you're right. I'm sorry, I'm getting my history wrong, look at me. And uh, we walked in, and it was uh, three guys in the praise band and like five people outside of us, and it, within five minutes, my entire view of what the church was was just challenged. We went from a place where like there was fa there was a brick and mortar building with a nice steeple and they had fancy words like narthex. I still don't even know what that means. And then we went to a place called the Fire Hall where there was just like three people with some bongos, a couple guitars, no tuxedos. It was weird. And from that point on, I've grown so much. I've watched this place go from eight people and a set of bongos to an amazing church family that I wouldn't trade for the world. I have learned so much more than I ever thought I could about God and what it means to be a Christian, and this place has shaped me in ways that I never thought a church really could. I love this place so much, and I love these people, all of you, so much. You guys have been such a blessing, and I thank God for you every day. Thank you, guys. Okay. What I wanted to say is, years back when I was new to Revolve, Bill did a sermon on, are you good enough? And I remember starting out feeling good. About a quarter of the way into it, I didn't feel so good. I remember turning to my friend and going, <laughs> because I was like, oh, my God, I'm a horrible person. Then, about halfway through, I was ready to bolt right out of my seat and drown my sorrows at gusto. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, because towards the end, he then said, you'll never be good enough, and that's okay. He knows you're not going to ever be good enough. He just wants you to love him, follow him, obey him, and live you know, an exemplary life, make disciples. He's not expecting perfection. 
And that took so much guilt away from me that I found myself on my way to work talking to him more freely and celebrating him in the good times, not just turning to him in bad times. And that was life-changing because I don't care if someone has more money than me or a better house or better clothes. It doesn't matter. In the end, all I care about is that I can look back and say, Jesus, I hope you can be in some way proud of me. And I think that if we all don't feel so much guilt and say we're not perfect, but we can strive. And our discipleship group, we all learned a lesson. <coughs> all of us had been in the hub, and our furry friend Googie brought us mugs that said Shema. <laughs> and she said to all these hub graduates, so what does Shema mean? Not one of us <laughs> could <laughs> remember. We were mortified. I dived under the table. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it means listen and obey. And honest to God, if we do that, that's all we need to do in so many ways because it leads us in the right direction. Thank you. Um, I did take notes too, and um, I'm so grateful to be able to share this, and I'm scared to death. But God took a sin that I lived 30 years, and it's my testimony. I was a Christian, and at 26 years old, I entered in a way of life that was not biblical and pleasing to God. But in my mind, I convinced myself it was. I came to Revolve in 2014 when I moved down here in North Cape May, but I didn't come to church. I taught Sunday school. And if it hadn't been for, I need the mic a little closer. <laughs> if it hadn't been for Gina talking to Bill and saying, she doesn't come to church. She teaches, but she doesn't come to church. I don't think my life would have ever changed, and I'm so grateful for you. Um, and I've never told you that, and I'm telling you that now, and I apologize. But I started coming to church, and I didn't want to come to church because I was afraid that God might reveal my secret. God might really reveal to me and convict me that was my sin. I started coming to church. I went to Hub. I had no idea what Hub was. I've taken it three times, and I will continue to take it because I learned so much from it. I signed up for doctrine. And in those classes, other people revealed the people that they loved, had no idea that I was in this sin, that they loved, they were praying for that person, that they loved, that they would be released from that sin. And I started to feel really convicted and scared. And I went home and I prayed and I asked God, please, if this isn't biblical, which sounds so stupid right now, because it wasn't, please take it from my heart, remove it from my life, because I don't know how. And he did. But Satan wasn't done with me because I was still living in chains. And persecution came from my old way of life. And it brought embarrassment and it brought shame. And I knew I had hurt people so bad. And Satan knew that if I could feel guilty enough, I would walk back. And that Sunday is when it happened. And that Monday, I got a text from Bill saying, you're on my heart. I don't know why, but you're on my heart. How can I pray for you? I know we're not supposed to mention names, but I already got pre-approved. <laughs> um, he asked, do you want to meet with me? Please talk to somebody. Please tell specifics. 
And I said, yeah, I'll make it. I'll be okay. Can I meet with you that Monday, the following week? I never understood why until I started writing this out. That Sunday was a similar service to this where we sang the Lord's Prayer. I met with Bill and Christian the next morning, and I told them my story. I never shed a tear until Bill said to me, were you at church yesterday? And I said, yeah. And he said, what service? I said, 11. He said, what'd you get out of it? I said, I got out of it that I'd ask God forgiveness for a sin, but I was still in chains and I don't know how to get out. And he told me that that was not in his notes. And when the Holy Spirit told him to say it, he saw my face. He didn't see my face in the church, but he saw my face. And that's when I cried. And if it hadn't been for the love of this church and God using Hub, DG groups, all of you, God wouldn't have been able to peel that sin. I would have still been in it thinking it's okay. I'm a Christian, it's still okay because he loves me. I am so grateful for all of you and um, I'm probably way over and I apologize and thanks for holding that mic. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, when we planted Revolve, you get an idea in your brain of what things are going to look like. Um, and, of course, we're conditioned. We talk about this in the hub all the time. We are conditioned, and so we define things based upon what we've observed. If you look at what success looks like in the world, then you say that's success. So a successful church is one that grows and grows and gets a bigger campus, and a successful missionary is one who has you know, oodles of, of people who come to faith, and then they plant churches, and um, that's just the picture you draw in your mind. But, you know, Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. And I think the time that we've had at Revolve the last nine years is a testimony to the fact that that never looks like what you think it's going to look like. Um, Revolve is by no means impressive by the definition of the world, by the definition of churchianity. There's no reason why people would look at Revolve and would give us a, a second look, right? But we boast in Christ because you hear about the testimonies today that was the Holy Spirit working through the people of Revolve for the glory of God and the good of this community and the good of these people. And you realize the privileges that God has given us to have come alongside, encouraged, prayed for, financially supported. Last year, over $140,000 to the church in Iran, <laughs> Indonesia, Czech Republic, Greece, and on and on and on. Coaching leaders and pastors in the United States, in Iraq, in Egypt, ac across the eastern seaboard. Those are things that we wouldn't have imagined or even necessarily asked for, but God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And we do believe that God is going to continue to do more than we could ask or imagine because I believe that the people of Revolve are desiring not their own glory, but God's glory. And I believe that the people of Revolve are ready to become less so that God can become more. As many people in this room are growing up culturally Christian, um, there was more of a standard to live up to versus a surrender. And um, we fail at that. 
And our church, the church in America is failing at that. And through the obedience of Dave Maycumber and Bill in my life, just speaking truth, loving me, encouraging me, telling me where I'm just straight wrong, um, brought me from a place of just checking the box of going to church and um, to full surrender. And that was not beautiful, and it still isn't, but um, as the training and the love and, the, and everything that has been taught through this church, um, I mean, he brings people together, the people that I love, like Ricky, who I probably would never have been a friend, because it's just, you know, I'm wearing a Patagonia shirt, and he's covered in tattoos. <laughs> and then, like, uh, you know, there's a f bunch of you. But just meaning that how beautiful the church is and how great our God is to bring people together for one truth and to see him glorified. And as um, our, f our family is moving, God has prepared us to take the beauty of what we've learned here and we're sent to go and train the church in South Carolina. And how awesome is that? Because I don't feel under-equipped because I know who I have. I know my wife feels equipped and I know that we have the spirit with us amen. and this church body praying for us. So, amen. amen. All right, I'll close in prayer. Lord, you are king. How beautiful it is to have a church that is surrendered to you. Lord, just tear down those walls, take those chains, Lord. Show us how beautiful it is and that this life is nothing compared to what is next. So, Lord, keep our eyes on the eternal. May we glorify you. Let us walk in the good things that you have planned for us. And uh, bless this day. In your son's name, amen.